This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. We are back on Talkback. Thanks for joining us this morning. And Talkback is brought to you this morning by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, residential and commercial cleaning, no job too big or small, 406-260-6617. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it gets or how hot it gets, Gomer's has everything you need to make sure your rig starts every time. Uh, located at Palmer and West Broadway, that's Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service. And by Y West Storage out of the Y on Two Smokes Way. If you need storage, give them a call today at 406-510-0590. You'll find out what's available. Y West Storage making room for you. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Glad to have you along. It's hour number two of the Friday edition of TalkBack. Nick questions and over there taking your phone calls and producing TalkBack here in the studio. Dr. Patrick Barkey, Director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And Jeff has been waiting very patiently all the way through the top of the hour break to talk with you. So, Jeff, go, go ahead. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Dr. Barkey. Um, first of all, I really appreciated last week one of your, I love all your economic minutes, but the one that talked about the strong correlation between homelessness and lack of homes. I mean, that's about as simple as you can get. It's not about uh, addiction or poverty or other things. It's about lack of homes. So let's build more homes. Um but uh, talking about the grid, the electric grid, uh, in your upcoming series, the, uh, the grid is probably one of the most complicated machines made by human beings. It, in the United States, it generates a total of about one and a quarter terawatts, has 6.1 million miles of wires, poles, and transformers, and it's owned and managed by 3,394 electrical providers over 3,000, almost 3,400 different people provide electricity to the grid. And that's at the public level. That's not considering private folks in their house who might be pumping something from their own solar panel. And in that grid, nobody is responsible for it. During the, uh, during the, uh, the winter of, uh, what, February of 2022, when uh, Texas had its massive freeze in ERCOT, uh couldn't make the uh, grid work for a week or 10 days. Nobody was to blame for it because everybody would point their fingers at other people and say, well, we were generating power. Um, it wasn't our fault. Well, we had the grid up. It wasn't our fault. Well, we were generating uh, electric- electricity. It wasn't our fault, but yet it all failed. And so I say all that to ask you this question. Is electricity a product or a service? Because if it's a service, it's a natural monopoly. And so it needs to be regulated as a monopoly. If it's a product, um, then you just produce it and put it out there in caveat emptor. And so how do you see the whole thing? And what would you recommend as a way forward for the grid in terms of, should we handle it as a product or a service? 
How much time do you have? <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, I think you, you spun off about a dozen premises. Okay, and I agree with only half of them. Okay, so so the temptation is to jump in and say no, 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 not no, not no, you're not right, you know. But uh, <clears throat> let me let me get back to uh, uh, let me spin off what you're saying. Uh, I don't think the question of whether you label something a product or a service is, is super important. It's it's something that's of value. Uh, people are willing to, to pay for it, and it's uh, you know it's, it's integrated into uh, so many things that we do. Uh, I think the the key is is that uh, to think about is there's something called energy and there's something called energy services, and nobody wants energy. I mean, energy service is it would be uh, you, you being, you know, you traveling from your home to work, that's a service, right? It's transportation. It's provided by energy and other means. So I think that's getting a little esoteric. Let me, let me dive in though to one thing you said, which I don't think is correct. Okay. And that is there's nobody, nobody trying to make sure the electric system is working or the implication that there's all these atomized people there all out for their own good. And uh, no one's really looking out for the big picture, making sure the system doesn't go down. Boy, you're not you're not right about that at all. I mean, there are there are some entities in every part of the country, and that's fundamentally what they do every second and every minute of the day. I'm not sure if you meant to say what you said, but I mean, uh, they're called balancing authorities. Uh, there are many. Uh, there's two in Montana. There's one that's the biggest. It's run by Northwestern Energy. By the way, that's not their utility service. That's a different part of the company that runs a balancing authority that that is concerned about matching uh, load and supply. And this is a big deal. And uh, everyone knows there's a potential for failure. And uh, unfortunately, the failure in Texas is the fault of a lot of people, as you said. And we are up against a break. Jeff, thanks for the call. What we're going to do is, um, you want to go ahead and take uh, Kirsten's call now? Should we wait no, to? Let's do it right now. Oh, let's, let, let's get Kirsten. Kirsten Pabst is joining us right now. Unfortunately, had a little bit of a delay in getting uh, the weekly crime report, but we're going to do that right now. Kirsten, good morning. Good morning. Yes, there were some emergency vehicles um, making their way to some emergency situations that kind of slowed down my my path on the way to work. But we have a crime report now. We charged nine new criminal complaints this week, which is a little bit lower than average, a welcome adjustment. Um, Four of those fall into the crimes against persons category. In one of those, it was an, we charged aggravated burglary. The defendant allegedly um, tried to enter or did enter his ex-girlfriend's home. Um, it, he was also charged with violating an order of protection and then later charged with escape for failing to um, halt when the police officers indicated he needed to do so. We charged two uh, cases in the sex category of sexual intercourse without consent, as well as indecent exposure for allegedly um, disrupting the flow of work at a medical facility. Um, we charged a, one endangerment crime, a child endangerment. Uh, the defendant was involved in a very serious car crash and in uh, 
allegedly had a two-year-old child in the back of the car. Additionally, there was one burglary, one drug crime, and then in the admin category, we charged one person with bail jumping and then a fugitive from justice out of Oregon who had charges there of robbery and assault. Um, we're looking at today's roster as well. There were a couple more crimes against persons that were pushed from earlier in the week and then two new um in custodies, one is a burglary, non-residence, and the other is another fugitive from justice. Well, now, Kirsten, did, did you have a, a, a decrease in, in crime during the, the cold snap? or people just too, too cold to get into trouble, or did that not make any difference at all? Well, last week we were at 15, which is right about average. The week before that was 9, so it's really hard to tell. Um, maybe once we get out of this weather, we can take a look back and have a better idea of the trends. Gotcha. It's always a pleasure, ma'am. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, and uh, we appreciate it. You have a wonderful day and, and a great weekend. Thank you. Drive safe, everyone. Thank you. And we're a little bit overdue for a break. We're going to come right back. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, but. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's just say we have Doug on the line. Oh, Doug. Doug is also waiting. Doug, we're going to get your call in here in just a few minutes right after this quick timeout. So stay with us. You want the best. Dennis Bragg with the updated forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. Showers likely again Friday, turning to a chance of rain and snow showers in the afternoon, warming into the upper 20s, so we aren't really expecting more than an inch of accumulation in the valleys. Saturday brings more clouds with a chance of rain later in the day, a slight chance of rain and snow extending into Sunday morning. The big thing you'll notice will be the warm-up this weekend, with highs near 40 and lows back to around freezing. Hey, we're back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen over there producing TalkBack, taking your phone calls. Here in the studio with us this morning, Dr. Patrick Barkey, Director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And Doug is waiting to visit with you. Dr. Barkey, Doug, go ahead, sir. Well, uh, a couple of phone calls ago, a fellow said he would like to see more houses in Missoula as a solution for homelessness, but that really upsets me because I've lived in Missoula for 80 years, and I remember when the south edge of town was at the Rose Garden, and Sentinel High School was out in the country, and that was the airport, and everyone heated with wood, and we didn't have natural gas at that time, and the town was small, and the wood smoke did not seem to bother us too much. We just sort of, everyone was worked in the woods, and, and that just seemed a logical, you know, use of the scrap wood from the lumber bills. Then I, when I got out of high school, the pulp mill came in, and uh, the air then had a, an odor at times that smelled like you were sitting in an outhouse uh, because of the smell from uh, the pulp mill. Well, then we got natural gas in, and uh, at one time, someone told me to go up to Farview's to our house, and I did, and I, the, the owner over the house uh, took me out to the, to the living room and showed me the, the picture window that uh, winter and said how lucky they were they didn't live down in Missoula. And I looked, and there was this yellow haze over the entire town that was, you know, a hundred feet deep or so. And I thought, well, I didn't realize that all of us were breathing this. And it was the exhaust from all the automobiles and trucks. 
and all the uh, furnaces. And when you bring in uh, more people, you bring in, every time you bring in a family, you bring in a couple of cars and another furnace. And I thought, boy, it would be wonderful if we could develop a way of getting our versions to move right on through Missoula rather than laying here for days and days. And I live up the rattlesnake all my life, and I attribute my old age to breathing air that comes down, uh, nice clean air that comes down over Canada at Glacier Park, down through uh, the Mission Valley, and over uh, uh, a small gap in the upper um, uh, Waterworks Hill. And when I uh, bring my kids uh, from the airport after they've lived in New York and other places. I pick them up at the airport, and then we get out at my house, and they always step out, and they say, oh, my God, the air here in the Rattlesnake Valley smells so good, and it's the odor, I think, of the pine needles. And I just wish we didn't put any more people in this valley or any more houses. And I would suggest to the city, although I know no one would agree to this, but you issue no more building permits. The oh, only my goodness. Type of, yes, the only thing you can do is you can get remodel permits. And because every time you bring another family in, you're adding to the pollution in the air that we all breathe. And I think it shortens our life. Right. I have seen two studies, one in London and one in the United States, where people that live on a main street, uh, like Higgins or Broadway uh, or Brooks, people live within two blocks of those. Uh, they check the death certificates. Those people die uh, at a younger age in both of these studies. And uh, when the whole city air is similar to what's on the air that you're breathing on Brooks and Higgins. And, Doug? Well, I think Dr. Yeah. Barkey wants to respond to some of the things you said. But but thank you. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. All right. I'm, 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 I'm glad that you love living up on the rattlesnake and it smells so good. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not sure where the question is, but I mean, the whole... The whole sense of, uh, I mean, the population is growing. I mean, there's increasing life expectancy, uh, births, immigration, you name it. So if you're saying no more people can be in Missoula, you are saying they have to be someplace else. Uh, so what does that say? You know, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the evidence is that, um, um, and people, people bring ideas, people bring innovations. People bring investments. People bring opportunity um, because people also bring uh, what? Uh, they, they bring their gifts. They bring their gifts, right. etc. So uh, I think uh, I think that's that's not a very rational uh, response uh, to it, growth. It, it may be nostalgic, but it's not realistic. Realistic, yeah. legal, uh, desirable. <laughs> okay. um, not sure where to go with that, but I'm 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 not sure I would give that uh, much much consideration. And I think some of the things that you mentioned have actually been addressed very successfully by dare I say it regulation. I mean, the Clearing Clean Air Act was 1969, and since that time, 
uh, you look at the air in cities like Los Angeles, right. and 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 it's much improved. So, uh, you know, there's there's other less draconian ways of addressing some of the issues you're talking about. I, who have been here many many years, I remember when the gentleman named Scott Church was was at the. Uh, uh, at the Missoula City County Health Department, his job was to go around to people who still had fireplaces, using their fireplaces. You're okay to use a pellet stove, but at that time they were trying to clear out, you know, the the smoke and the um, and the pollution in the valley. It was it was a it was a tough slog, but eventually it uh, it worked out. So we're we're up against a break, by the way. Catherine is waiting to talk with Doctor Barkey. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. One eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. We're coming right back after this. Hey, this is Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number, and we are thrilled to have with us Dr. Patrick Barkey, Director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Folks waiting to talk with you. Uh once again, Catherine's on the line. Hey Catherine, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Um so I'd I'd like to uh throw something out here. I don't know if you've um even uh considered addressing this, but there's something called uh uh, CBDCs or central bank digital currency. And, uh, this is actually something that has been, um, kind of growing, uh, to the point where about 60% of central banks are conducting experiments or proofs of concept. 14% are moving to development and pilot arrangements. And, um, so, that's about 86% of central banks are exploring the, the pros and cons of, of that. Um, the thing about digital currency is that it is then becomes uh, easy to track where every single penny that somebody uh, spends um, from and uh, either acquires or spends uh, can be tracked by um, an institution. And I was wondering what you think about this, because the Davos um, people, the elites of the world, are uh, are really pushing this. Uh, and uh, so are, you know, most of the um, people that are on the um, steering committees of this are people from the banks of England and uh, all sorts of, you know, Singapore and all sorts of places, uh specifically China also. Um, and I'm wondering what you think of all that. Okay. Uh, thanks for the call, Catherine. I don't have a lot of strong opinions on it. I'll just say that as an observer, uh, to see currencies going digital, it doesn't have kind of a ring of an inevitability to it. I mean, what hasn't gone digital? So, uh, you know, I, th- I think uh, I can certainly see the reasons why it's being explored. It may have exactly the implications you're talking about, but you know it's pretty interesting. Uh, and I, I'm not being cavalier about this. I mean, but it's nonetheless it's pretty interesting that the things that you or I would consider huge breaches of privacy, our kids take as as just normal, and and, and it just goes that way generation after generation. So that's why I say I think digital currency. I have no strong opinion about it one way or the other. But I do see it uh, as having um, a sort of a inevitability about it, um, and so I um, I think probably it would be best to figure out how to adapt to it rather than try to uh, try to sort of uh, dam the flood, so to speak, and and keep it at bay. I guess that's my 
you know, my opinion, which is about worth what you're paying for it, Catherine. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call, Catherine. Harry's up next. Harry, good morning. You're on Talkback, sir. What's up? Yeah, good morning, Patrick. Uh, I got a sort of a, a bigger, broader question. I, I understand it. there's a lot of caveats to this uh, to answer, I'm sure, because I'm just asking, how is the economy? I know there's local economy, state regional, you know, all the different economies, or, and also the economy is, you know, a broad subject because you got, you know, people, average, the average person thinks economy is, well, gas prices, food prices, that's about, or, and rent maybe, that's, that's about the, you know, just of their, most people's idea of economy, but I'm just wondering, what is the economy like? How is our economy nationwide? You're my favorite guy. <laughs> <laughs> I I and I, I know you're not related to me, but uh, I was about ready to get one of my relatives to call me up and ask me that question. Um, I think the economy is pretty good. I think the uh, um, um, the title on my very first slide on uh, when I talk about the economy is that the soft landing has arrived. Now, there's nothing certain. I mean, uh, but it looks like uh, the economy has slowed down. Inflation has come down. Um, you know, I mean, none of these things are. are Exactly where we want them, uh, but the uh, the economy is doing rather well. I mean, we have low unemployment rates. Uh, we have fairly low but respectable growth, and we don't have a recession. We have had some fortuitous events. Uh, we, we've we've got less volatility. We we should be really concerned. We should be really concerned about Houthi rebels bombing ships going through the Red Sea. We should be really concerned about all the saber rattling happening in the Mideast and, and Taiwan and so forth. But when you look at markets, when you look at things like energy prices, uh, they don't show the same kind of volatility. It looks like we've kind of adjusted to the uh, the kinds of geopolitical things that rattle us so much a year or so ago. So the economy is doing fairly well. I think the thing we need to keep in track in Montana is that when I say the economy is doing fairly well, I would say we're getting close to normality. That's something that Montanans haven't seen in about three years. It's been one crazy ride up and a crazy ride down. Uh, we've had gigantic tax revenues. Well, guess what? We're not going to have gigantic growth in tax revenues this coming year. There will be no surprise giant surplus we can hand out uh, to taxpayers and talk about reducing other taxes and so forth. So we're we're a lot closer to normality. I think we have some festering issues. We have some issues with entitlement programs. We have some issues with uh, federal deficits. We have some issues with housing, definitely. And we have some issues with some key industries like healthcare uh, that that are uh, sort of they're they're right there in plain sight. But but those are just the you know the ongoing problems with managing the, the largest economy in the world. I think overall the economy is doing quite well. All right, with that, yeah, we're up. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish, Sherry. Yeah, just they say yeah. There's always uh, potential pitfalls in the future, but I appreciate it. Um, and this being an election year, of course, no one's going to say that. So I mean, it's. That's the way it is. Thank you. There's got to be a crisis in order to elect somebody. So uh, thanks for the call, Harry. We're going to get Larry on the line here in just a minute. And uh, we're, we, first, we have to take a quick commercial break. Several phone lines still open. Dr. Barkey will be with us all the way till 10 o'clock this morning. And he's just getting warmed up. So 721-1290 is the number. If you have a question, we'll be right back. 
need a quick economic outlook seminar.com <laughs> dr barkey asked me I, by the way i just i just typed it into my browser boop, there it is as economic outlook seminar 2024 with a globe and a plant next to it so <laughs> not exactly what the plant is but Anyway, uh, Dr. Barkey is here in the studio, and uh, we, have, we have Larry waiting on the line very patiently through the break, so let's get his call on first. Larry, good morning. You're on Talkback, sir. What's up? Good morning. Uh, I see where the governor just appointed uh, some citizens to a task force to look at the tax uh, situation at the state. Yeah, property taxes. And, yeah. Uh, I, yes, and I wondered if... Uh, Dr. Barkey could talk a little bit about how that process works, and uh, it it looks like they're mostly laypersons that are on this uh, advisory board or committee. And uh, how does that go uh, as far as the process? And is there anybody with a background in tax taxes to sit on there and uh, kind of sift through these recommendations to come up with? Uh, perhaps an answer that uh, can be recommended to the legislature when they reconvene. And uh, if you were on that committee, what are two or three things you would like to see done to improve the property tax situation in Montana? Now, now Larry, real, 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 I, like, I was just going to say, I, I did a story about that. And uh, there are two PhDs, if that makes any difference, that are, are that are part of this, uh, of this group. So Dr. Barkey, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, it it, so right, I mean, Peter. Peter pretty much covered it, so that that answers part of your question. But I think the uh, it's interesting with property taxes because uh, you know the the legislature um, describes what the local governments can do from a procedural point of view, and it certainly uh, puts uh, stop signs on how much they can they can increase taxes and so forth. But it is a local tax. I mean, the whole idea that we can sit here in Missoula and shake our finger at Helen and say, it's all your fault we're paying these taxes, is, to, to my mind, uh, you know, it's just not accurate. I mean, it's it's uh, our elected leaders pass, enact the budgets, uh, the priorities and so forth, and they say they have to have the money, but, uh, you know, you don't have to spend the money on all the things that you're spending on. So, so that's, I'm... I'm um I I I guess I don't like the dynamic that says that we need someone to fly in from Helena and save us from our taxes when it is a local tax. Now there's that's not a totally fair statement by the way. I mean there's there's a tons and tons of things that are written in that are that are universal for property taxes everywhere from the legislature there are things the legislature could do. Um um, if if I were king for a day, I would I would do a couple of things to property taxes. Uh, the first is I would make them more transparent. So I would I would make it really I would re- reduce the number of moving pieces, so people could see uh, where where what what are the mechanisms that are producing our taxes. And the other thing I would do, quite frankly, is I would try to come up with ways uh, to protect people. With low cash flow, uh, people of low income from bearing uh, high taxes. Now, that's going to be fewer people than you think. Uh, you know, I mean, we can't protect everybody from taxes because then we'd have no tax revenue. 
But uh, that, I realize that's a little vague when I'm talking about uh, one thing uh, that does have uh, a little bit more uh, specificity to it is something called a circuit breaker, which is simply says if your property tax bill is higher than a certain fraction of your income, then we throttle back your property tax bill. That's not an easy thing to implement because you have to figure out how to replace the revenue. But those are some things that I would do. But the main thing that we can do is if you don't like high taxes, stop electing the people who are enacting the budgets to lead to the high taxes because well, those, well, those taxes are local. But it's not just that. Uh, it's 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 our uh, – we've, we've seen the enemy and he is us, okay? Uh, and because I was just adding up, uh, let's see, the, the $158 million uh, several years ago, we passed the school mill levy to build some of the new schools. It was a 25-year uh, levy, I believe, 20 or 25. 36 million for the soccer and ball fields of Fort Missoula. 35 million for the public library and $10 million for open space. That's $239 million of self-imposed taxes that we have put on ourselves because we want a, 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 a community where there are things that people can go, a library, soccer fields, all, all those things that are desirable. And one after the other, they add up. And every time you pay your property taxes, this is a, a large part of what you're paying. So, you know. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Peter. But I, I would also say something as to following. Um, so... If, if you're managing the personnel, let's say, and most, most government expenses are personnel. If you're managing the personnel and you, you're in a high inflation environment, well, we need more money to compensate our employees for a high inflation environment. Or we have higher costs here and so forth. So we, we just simply uh, fractionally increase budgets uh, when faced with higher costs. Uh, that's not – I don't think that's prudent management myself. Now, other people may disagree, but myself, I would say – this is a good time to reprioritize. This is a good time to think about how many how many people we need to, uh, devoted to this activity, to that activity, and so forth. Because uh, simply passing along costs proportionally, and I'm not saying that's what government leaders are doing, but to the extent that they are, just passing those costs along to, to those of us to pay the taxes is uh, is ultimately what's behind increasing property taxes. So. Uh, that's 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 what I say. So so like I say, my my take on this is to push back on the whole narrative that it's all Helena's fault. Um, it's all this, those crazy legislators. Um, it's it's that oh that school mill, those ninety five mills, and so forth. Um, you know the, that's the teaspoon of the problem, and the problem is is really a whole bathtub full of full of issues. You bet. Larry, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. We're going we're to come right back. By the way, the phone lines are clear. If you have a question or a comment for Dr. Patrick Markey, that's why he's here to answer your questions this morning. Of course, we would definitely want to talk about the Economic Outlook Seminar before we, we get done with our time together. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309, or use the KGVO app. And by the way, a little bit of a... Uh, a deal here. Uh, if you haven't downloaded the KGVO app, uh, how come? Uh, it's absolutely free at the App Store, and you can access uh, KGVO 24-7 wherever you are in the whole wide world, and uh, it is very, very handy. So I hope you'll 
uh, do that right now if you haven't already. We'll be back with more of Talk Back right after this. Back, 721-1290 is the number. That's uh, the number you want to call to talk with Dr. Patrick Barkey. And, uh, but before we get to Jeff's call, uh, I, 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 a couple of things uh, about the program, the uh, Economic Outlook Seminar that's coming up. Uh, first of all, where, where is it going to be? It's going to be in various cities. And what kind of things are you doing? And uh, what, uh, what will people get out of this seminar? Yeah, we're, we're in nine cities, and we start next week in Helena, Great Falls, and Missoula on Friday of next week. And then we do Billings, Bozeman, and Butte the following week with Kalispell on February 6th, kind of as a bookend for those seven. And we do two more in March in Lewistown and Haver. Uh, one of the things we do in our program that is uh, we, we really talk about the kind of year that we had, not just in Montana, but in different parts of Montana, so, for example, we'll, we'll talk about things like the great in-migration of people moving to Montana. Where does that stand? Are, are, are people still moving here? Um, we talk about what's happening in some of the key industries. So we've, we've heard a lot about drought in agriculture. And, in fact, moisture levels are, are, are improving. We talk about commodity prices. Uh, there's been a lot of change there in different parts of the state. We talk about population growth. You know, one of the interesting things that's going on is that uh, Bozeman is now within a whisker of being the same size economy as Billings. People are not aware of that. Now, that's not by every measure, certainly not by population, but when you look at personal income. So we're, we're, we're scorekeepers, but we also try to get the way. I think what people get out of it is it's, it's a good opportunity for folks at the beginning of the year to sort of calibrate their expectations. So decision makers in government and business and, of course, individual households can take a look and say, okay, what's, what's coming? What's ahead? What do I need to be worried about? And of course, not most people aren't worried about the general economy, but they're worried about their piece of it. So if you're in insurance, you're in real estate, you're in construction, you want to know what's going on with interest rates, you want to know what's going on with inflation, uh, we talk about all these kinds of things. Now, do we know what the future is? Not really. Um, but we can certainly talk about uh, where we expect it to be as, as a starting point for people making their own plans. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, in a lot of communities, which I would include Missoula in that, it's kind of, it's on the calendar. It's what people do. They get together in January. Uh, yes, it is winter, <laughs> but it's also the beginning of the year and it's time that we're really buttoning down and getting ready for the rest of the year. So that's what we do. Now, is there a charge to get in? Oh yes, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's ninety five dollars for a half day program. You get uh, you get our publications. You get our uh, you get our um, PowerPoint slides. You can log on to the BBR app uh, to get more information, and uh, you also get a free subscription to the Montana Business Quarterly. So it's a pretty comprehensive deep dive, and there's also continuing education credits available. Uh, and they're all on economicoutlookseminar.com. Great. Okay, now just one one more quick Dr. Obvious question or Captain Obvious question, whatever it might be. Uh, here in Missoula, uh, where and when is it going to be? It's going to be at 8 o'clock in the morning at the Hilton Garden Inn on January 26th. Okay. January 26th, <laughs> Friday. Got it. All right, let's get back to the phone. Say good morning to Jeff. Jeff, you're on Talkback. Hi. Hey, Good morning again. Um, I, I'd like to push back a little bit on, uh, on your answer because when my car runs out of gas, and I've heard you talk about this before, um, I go to either the Exxon or the Conoco or Costco or whoever has it, a product, 
And if one person is out of it, I just go on to the next one. I may grumble about an increase in price, but I have a product I can go get. And last weekend when my internet went out, um, I called CenturyLink because they provide that service to me and they were responsible for it and they eventually got it restored. And in my mind, electricity is that way, that it needs to be considered a service and with the outage in Texas in 2021, February 2021, when they when they conducted all of the uh, follow-up and after-action reports, they couldn't find one person to blame. You know, the PUC had part of it. The ERCOT, the, uh, the Energy Reliability Council of Texas had a part. Um, the Texas Railroad Commission, you know, governs the flow of natural gas. And so when uh, gas... Gas provides a large part of their power, and so um, they had plants up providing extra power, but then somebody decided to cut off electricity to the gas fields, which meant gas wasn't flowing to the power plants, which caused them to fail, which caused the problem to get even worse. And yet nobody was ever uh, fired. Nobody was ever held responsible. Nobody took responsibility for it because they could always point their finger at somebody else. And and that's what I'm concerned about is that with electricity, particularly as we get the grid more and more rely, uh, uh, um, reliant on, on wind and solar, which are not uh, energy sources that you can count on continuously, they're not a good base load, um, we're going to see more and more of this kind of thing. And there's going to be fewer and fewer people who take responsibility because we we can't say, hey, it's your job to do this. Okay, yeah, I, that's a good response. I, I respect what you're saying. I think the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I, I guess uh, I would I would go to the minute-by-minute minute management of the grid, which is where my comments were directed. I mean, there are people who manage it. And uh, obviously, if they don't have enough resources, it's unmanageable, right? I mean, uh, and then there's, uh, I think what you're getting into is, and I agree with you quite a bit, almost everything you said, uh, would have to do with the, uh, power planning uh so planning a system with enough resiliency without with enough excess capacity and with enough flexibility to uh handle extreme events uh, as well as we can so uh, i think in the case of texas uh i think there's a lot known about why that happened and there there are people to blame so to speak of course they may run and hide from it Texas is the biggest wind producer of any area by far. And uh, what what has been discovered the hard way in many areas is that uh, extreme weather events, especially cold, are often uh, uh, associated with high-pressure high systems that, that cause the wind to go still. And so the wind output uh, in periods of extreme uh, cold can be disappointingly low. It certainly was that here last week uh, in Montana. And I think uh, people are, people are aware of that now a little more than they they used to acknowledge. But but a system which encouraged uh, the dependence of on wind in in to a degree in which it wasn't able to really um, provide what was needed during these uh, high high load moments. That's certainly part of it. Uh, I think there's also a lot of things that happened in Texas were a surprise in the sense that. It surprised people how much cold weather affected the uh, the capacity of natural gas generation in Texas. 
So they're not used to cold. So when it gets really cold, they had a lot of pipes freeze. They had a lot of issues with some of their backup generation. So um, I guess I would say that there are plenty of people to blame. There's no one person to blame. And and you're right, that, that kind of thing could happen in Montana. We talked about that quite a bit, by the way, in the summer program we did across the state last August. And uh, it could happen in, in a in a similar way in the sense that we are depending on resources that cannot deliver what's needed. We're, we're uh, retiring resources that provide power that is, is, is more critical than uh, some people can appreciate. And, uh, and, and certainly uh, one thing about electricity, which I thought you were going to say, but you didn't, is not whether electricity is a product or service, but rather the electric grid is something that we cannot afford to run out. Uh, when when it's short, we're all in a lot of trouble. You bet. Jeff, thanks for the call. We're going to come right back uh, after one minute, uh, our final break. And uh, we have still have a few minutes left for calls for Dr. Patrick Barkey, University of Montana Bureau of Business and Econ- Economic Research. Uh, back after this one minute timeout. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number or 1-800-568-5309. Or you can, of course, use the KGVO app. And if you haven't already downloaded it, I hope you will do so as soon as possible. All right. Uh, Dr. Patrick Barkey joining us here in the studio this morning. And we do have another caller. Uh, who's up with us? We have Bill. Bill, Bill, good morning. You're on with Dr. Barkey. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, so... The whole idea with the Green Deal and, you know, uh, smart energy. I always wanted to know what the numbers play out. How much wind, how many windmills would you have to have to make one windmill? With the manufacturing, the building, the ore, everything that goes into one of those, how many of those would have to run? Just to make one. That would be an interesting would, uh, interesting experiment to run. Yeah. I think it's a, I always think of that. And, or how many solar panels to get the energy just to make one of those. And then see how, you know, the, the scales play out. Well, you've intrigued Peter Christian because he's typing away on Google as you talk. I can see that right now. Um, For one thing, you're comparing a state and a flow, right? So you need need a certain amount of energy, which is, you know, kilowatt hours or something like that, to make a a hunk of steel, a piece of fiberglass, a coil of wire, Uh I mean, that kind of thing. So... um, Clearly, um, what you're making is a physical asset, which then has a useful life, which then can produce over a number of years, right? So, right. Um, you know, I, I I haven't thought about it exactly that way. Um, so let me spin my question into something I can't answer. <laughs> my answer into something I – your question is something I can answer. And this is uh, how many materials are required for a – Megawatt of energy. Whoops, Peter's. Peter's. Uh, I, I've just, I just I just looked this up. It says here a two megawatt windmill. This is Thomas Homer Dixon carbon shift. 
A two-megawatt windmill is made up of 260 tons of steel. It required 300 tons of iron ore, 170 tons of coking coal, all mined, transported, and produced by hydrocarbons. A windmill could spin until it falls apart and never generate as much energy as it was invested in building it. Okay, so, yeah, so then I'm like, so so you could say 20 windmills, it takes 20 windmills of power generated to create one windmill if we were to get rid of fossil uh, <laughs> fuel. In a, in a, no, in a, in a, you know, where I'm... There's, there's no equivalence. Yeah. There's no equivalence like that. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. It would take 20 mil windmills. It could take 20 windmills, <laughs> you know, six hours of one day to do that. I have no idea what the number is. But whatever it is, it's a finite amount of energy production that goes into a physical asset. Uh, and the energy, of course, right. is needed to refine. You dig the ore out of the ground, all this sort of thing. I think the key is is, is, is the – excuse me, Peter's – No, 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 no. I'm just saying yes. Go ahead. Please continue. Well, I, I – I think the whole notion that we're sort of going backwards by every windmill we, we, we build, we need four more to build it. I mean, I, I, I don't think you're going to get anywhere with that kind of logic because it's, it's not an apples and oranges comparison. You're talking about the amount of production of energy uh, that goes into a physical asset, which can produce energy for many, many years. So uh, I, you know... If 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 that weren't a positive number, uh, then how could we have any energy sources? Right. So I th- I think the the thing for Montana, the thing we talk about in our program is the is the kinds of things that go in to making the energy generators. All right. So per megawatt, uh, for example, and this isn't the question you asked. I realize that, but per megawatt of power, uh, a wind generator requires much, much more copper than a coal or a nuclear or a natural gas generator. It's the nature of the technology. So You bet. We are almost out of time. How can people find out more about the Bureau of Business and Economic Research? Where do we go? Well, I'd really like you to go to economicoutlookseminar.com. There you, you go. <laughs> you can get to our homepage from there. Right, right. And that, of course, is what we do. It's our flagship event. Our own website is uh, BBER. .umt.edu that describes what our research center does. Dr. Barkey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks thanks for the questions, too. You bet. Thank you. And thanks to all of our audience. Now, Nick, what's coming up on Monday's fabulous program? Uh, Dr. Peter Coleman, Sandy Perrin from 8 to 10. All right. Get out there and uh, stay warm. Unless It's going to get very warm over the weekend, so uh, we could have some freezing rain. Be very, very careful while you're driving. We'll see you Monday with Ace on Montana Morning at 6 a.m.